Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchange church. The following message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. started getting text after text after text that we were uh, not live. Uh, Facebook, something had changed in our key code or whatever, and so... Uh, they were fixing that in the back, and so I went and, and checked on it as if I could do anything about it. So <laughs> I went back there and said, hey, we got a problem? They said, yeah. And I said, okay, good, just making sure we had a problem. <laughs> and then I went back to the front, but we are live now, I believe. And so those of you that are chiming in and watching, so glad that you're here. Miss your faces. Uh, miss seeing you guys here. But those of you that are here with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. Um, church is so much fun with real people, uh, live people. Um, I was watching, any of y'all, I know a lot of people are banning sports right now, and that's a big deal, you know, so to each his own, whatever. But uh, I was listening to some of the players, and, you know, some of the teams in the NFL have allowed fans, and then some of them have not allowed fans. And I was watching a game this week, and they were talking to the players on both sides of the team after the game, and the team that they were playing allowed fans, and they had about 18,000 fans. Of course, the stadium looked empty, and they were spread out all over the stadium. And the players on the opposing team said, we thank God for all those fans in the stadium, even though they weren't cheering for us. It's just so much better with real people, right? Amen? All right, good. Thank you so much. Listen. Uh, glad you're here. If you haven't checked in already, you can check in on Facebook. Uh, we're in part two of The Messy Middle, and this was just a short series that I kind of squeezed in here uh, for a couple weeks, so I'm going to actually wrap it up today, but uh, I'm going to continue part two of The Messy Middle, and this is, this is talking about how to preserve in tough times, okay? I know that most of you aren't going through a tough time. It's hard to imagine right now anybody going through a tough time, right? That's a joke. There's my funny. See, even a live audience doesn't get my jokes. But, uh, but we're just going through stuff, right? And, and so this, I'm, I'm going to share something of, of kind of how to deal with the stuff that we're going through. Um, as you know, it's human nature to avoid things that we don't like. Amen. So if you don't like it, typically you avoid it. Um, for example, if you, and we, we, we are born into this. So if you're a child, as, as kids growing up, if you don't like vegetables, you tend to avoid vegetables, right? If, if you're like me and you don't like exercise, I know that's hard to believe, but I try to avoid exercise. In fact, I try to sometimes avoid people who exercise, <laughs> I sometimes try to avoid people who look like they eat vegetables and exercise, okay? But I'm just saying, sometimes we tend to avoid things that maybe we don't like. I, I actually love vegetables, so I'm not on that case. But the point is, is it doesn't hurt you to avoid things that you don't like all the time, okay? There are a lot of things you can avoid that you don't like that doesn't necessarily hurt you. But believe it or not, there are some things that you may not like, that actually will hurt you and can affect you when you avoid those things. For example, uh, well, here's an example of something that I, I, I like. Um, I like scary movies, okay? 
I love scary movies. But if, if you don't like scary movies and you avoided scary movies, it's not going to affect you, okay? The only time it's going to affect you is if we're sitting around and I'm telling you about the scary movie and you just can't participate in the conversation. That's the only way. But I like scary movies. Some people don't, and, and some people avoid scary movies. And so that doesn't hurt you, but there are some things that potentially can hurt you. Um, there are, and this, and I, I hope you don't judge me too harshly with this statement that I'm about to say, because it's a big one. But believe it or not, there are actually statements in the Bible that I don't particularly like. Just to be honest with you, Okay. Don't leave till the very end. Make sure you hear out what I'm saying because there's more to this than just that. But today I'm going to talk about one of these statements in the Bible that I don't particularly like. Okay, and In fact, it's not that I want to talk about it. I really need to talk about it because it, it really, this statement is so uh, perfect because it answers some very important questions that some of you may have uh, with the seasons and the time and the, the world that we live in. And uh, these questions are actually relevant to all of us. The, but the problem is with these questions is I don't necessarily like the answer to the questions. So sometimes human nature, we try to avoid that. But uh, I'm just going to tell you this morning that if we were wise, we would not try to avoid all the things that we don't necessarily like. So for the next few minutes, and we say this a lot here at the exchange, but I don't want you to hear me reading from the Bible because this is not my opinion. These are not my statements because I don't even really like uh, these statements all the time. I I'm just the messenger, so don't shoot the messenger here, uh, but you'll know where I'm going with this. So now the question that the author, and, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, James, the question that James is going to answer for us is actually a question that we're all kind of asking. And again, the answer is a little bit disturbing, but the question is this. What do we do when there's nothing we can do? It's a good question. You know, how do you answer that question? What do we do when there's nothing we can do? When it's just kind of, when it's a, it is what it is. Don't you, does that drive you crazy? People say that, it is what it is, you know, it is what it is. What does that even mean? I don't like what it is. Okay, what, what it is, whatever it is that it is that it is, I don't, it makes me uncomfortable, right? And so we don't particularly like this, and, and, and I get that. But for some of you, this season of life that we're in, my daughter, she, she graduated from high school this year. We just took her to college. But she, her graduation got bumped, and then it got bumped, and then it got bumped. And some people didn't even get to graduate live in front of people. In fact, there are only a couple people that could go with us to my daughter's graduation. I wanted everybody there, right? I wanted all my family and all my friends there. That was a big deal for me, but we, we could not all go. Some people during this season, you've lost your income. Some of you've lost your job. You've been furloughed from your job. You've, been, you've had lost opportunities that's not going to come back to you. Some, of, some people were planning on retiring, and they've had to put that off. In fact, some people are wondering now if they're ever going to be able to retire. You go on and on. You get on Facebook, and you pay attention. Some people are so... Uh, disappointed, discouraged that they're alone. They get on Facebook and they start seeing all these other people who have 
somebody in their life and they're discouraged they're alone. Or maybe you get on Facebook and see people who are alone and maybe you wish that you were alone in life. I don't know what it is, but, but we're all going through things. And, and isn't it true that over the past few months that we've all been confronted with a more sinister version of ourselves? Stuff maybe... <coughs> that we weren't sure was in there, stuff that we're kind of embarrassed about, but that we all, from time to time, get confronted with. And we say things like this, I can't wait to get things back to normal. Have you ever said that? Especially, probably most of you have said that more this year than you probably ever said in your entire life. And then, now we've changed it because we're wondering if there is ever going to be that normal again. So now we say things like, I just want things to get back to more normal. Right? And, and I get that because, I mean, at the beginning of this whole mess and this craziness we've gone on, uh, have you ever heard of uh, homeschool? <laughs> That's ridiculous. They wanted me to teach my kids. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. Luckily, my wife stepped in, and she's, she's covering the nursery this morning. But, but to homeschool our kids, we're busy. We got a lot of stuff going on, and they wanted us to, to come home from work or to not go to work and, and teach my kids, and I didn't go to school for that. Uh, I barely made it out of that myself. And so those of you that had to homeschool and, and you had a difficult time homeschooling, I get that. I can empathize with you. There's somebody else who can empathize with you. His name's Ben. Some of you may have seen this, but Ben, when he was getting homeschooled, he wrote a note, and this note went viral. And I'm going to share this note with you. I'm going to put it up on the screen. And it's Ben, and it says, homeschooled. Okay, 316.20. It's not going good. My mom's getting stressed out. My mom's really getting confused. We took a break so my mom can figure this stuff out. And I'm telling you, it's not going good. Ben kind of sums up my message and what I'm talking about in in this season that some of us have, have been going through, maybe it went good for a, a little while, but overall, it was just kind of wasn't going well. And I think the public school systems uh, have seen that, and they have done their best to get us back to uh, real teaching and real learning. And some of you thrived. So don't think that I'm not talking, you know, that none of you can homeschool. Some of you are incredible homeschool teachers, and you should get the Homeschool Teacher of the Year Award. Um, but we should not. My family, we don't. So it, it kind of gets difficult. And then all of a sudden, James, the brother of Jesus, he comes along. And James has some advice or instruction for us that honestly strikes me as a little bit passive. And then James's instruction strikes me as a little bit insensitive. And the reason that it, stri it strikes me as insensitive is because how could James know what I'm going through? Anybody? How could James possibly know what my life is like and how difficult my life is? And he's going to come in with instruction and, and, and advice for me. How could he know what I'm going through without actually hearing my story? And then Jesus, Jesus would make statements like this. Jesus would say, well... Tomorrow, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't fret about tomorrow. To which sometimes we want to raise our hand and go, but do you know tomorrow, Jesus, I'm going to bury my father and I'm going to 
burying my mom or you know tomorrow we sign the final papers for a divorce do you know tomorrow and so Jesus how can you even say these blanketed statements when you don't even know and you don't understand what I'm going through hold on just a minute it's not fair that you can have these overreaching blanketed statements without knowing my story but regardless of how much you you may not like this James has an answer for this and and to be honest even though I don't necessarily like it uh, we would be fools to not take James's advice and here's why James is the brother of Jesus now, if you've come, if you've attended this church very long at all, you know that we love talking about Jay. I really love talking about James because he he's one of the people who've just always blown my mind because James grew up with Jesus. And we've said this before. How hard would it be for you, for your sister or your brother to convince you that they are your Messiah? Right? Can you imagine trying to convince your brother or sister that I'm actually your Messiah? Okay, that's the role. And, and James didn't buy into that. In fact, there's a, there's a story, and we shared, I shared this in a few uh, messages several weeks ago. When Jesus is in Capernaum, and he's dealing with the, when he's way up north at the top of the, the Mediterranean Dead Sea and, and Sea of Galilee and all that, and he's dealing with some Pharisees, and, and the Pharisees can't handle him, and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, shows up, and it says some of the family. If you study that, how a lot of scholars, theologians, believe that James was one of the family members there. And what does Mary say? And it says Mary and the family said this. They said Jesus has lost his mind. <laughs> James is one of these characters. He believed Jesus had lost his mind. Jesus is crazy. Jesus was making all these accusations about who he is. He was saying that, that, that he's greater than the temple. <laughs> he was saying that he's greater than most. He was saying things like he has the power to forgive sin. And this is crazy talk. But then... James is confronted during the first century, and all of a sudden, James is the leader of the church. He's the leader of the church, and how did he become the leader of the church? Is because one day, James watched his brother die. And then a few days later, James watched his brother raise from the grave. And at that moment, James became a believer. And James was a believer. He was so much of a believer that he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He led for over 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. James became the leader of the church. James believed with all his heart that his brother was not just his brother, that his brother was actually his Lord. His brother was his Messiah. So let me tell you something. James has some street cred, if you ask me. So when James says things, I tend to like and listen to what James says because he has street cred because of everything that he went through, understanding who Jesus is. So there's 30 years that pass, and, and, and James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But you got to remember, the church in Jerusalem was primarily Jewish people. There were Jewish converts, and so... So the Jews that had chosen at this point in history to follow Jesus now after the death, burial, and resurrection, James is now leading the church. Those Jews were considered by the rest of the Jewish nation as heretics, blasphemers. Now, they didn't use that language because we created that afterwards. <laughs> the church, we got that later. But... That's, that's how they viewed them. They were actually poor and impoverished because the temple would no longer support them. 
because they didn't represent the Jewish people. And so the temple stopped supporting them. In fact, if you study this out, the Apostle Paul, he starts traveling around the Mediterranean rim, and he starts raising money from the Gentile followers and taking that back into Jerusalem and helping out the new Jewish followers of Jesus because nobody else was helping them out. It was terrible. They were being ridiculed. They were ostracized. They were cast out. They were looked down upon, and they were poor. And James is the leader of that church. So let me tell you something. James had a tough job. Somebody say amen. James had a very difficult job. He carries the weight of that through all of that season for for 30-some-odd years. So this is what gives James credibility, in my opinion. James went through it. James was surrounded by and responsible for a community in crisis. So when James speaks, I like to listen to what James says, even though I don't necessarily like what he says here in just a minute. But James has street cred. James has the ability to tell the first century followers of Jesus what to do. And and this morning, James is going to explain to you what to do and to me what to do. Here's chapter 1, verse number 1 of the book of James. James says this. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that so amazing? James would start off a letter explaining his loyalty and his devotion to his brother. A servant of God and my Lord, Jesus Christ. So, so powerful that some 30-odd years later, James would write that. Now, I took a passage, and and if you grew up in church, you're going to recognize this. I flipped a couple words. They're all still in the in the verse, but I flipped them just so that makes more sense as English readers. But here's what James says next. And this is kind of the part of the Bible that I don't necessarily like a whole lot. James says, whenever, everybody say whenever, whenever you face trials of many kinds, he said whenever, he didn't say if ever, he said whenever, what does that imply to you? That trials are coming. It's going to happen. He doesn't say, if ever, if ever you're in a situation and you face something. He says, whenever you face trials, not if ever, but you can't pray them away, you can't faith them away, and you can't obey them away. Trials are going to come. And whenever you face trials, because it's just the nature, and we talked about this last week, when sin entered the world, sin held the door open for sorrow, for suffering, for pain, for anger, for frustration, and for death. They all came in the door when sin entered the world. So James is telling us whenever they come, whenever trials come, they're going to get here. This is, this is how you handle it. Now, he says, whenever you face trials of any kind. Now, if you, look at, if you look up that word face, you look up the Greek word for face, it actually is translated. It means this. It means surprised. Okay? So it actually uh, could be put in, con- in, in other Greek literature, it, it's, in context, it's used as robbed. So to put it in context here, James is saying, whenever you are surprised by trials... Surprise, okay? Not if ever you're surprised, but whenever you're, in other words, you wake up one morning, the phone rings, and you get a call that somebody's gone. 
You wake up in the morning, you get a call. You go, you go home from work that afternoon and the doctor calls you to give you some bad news and you're surprised you have to face these trials. He's not saying if ever, he's saying whenever. It's going to happen because when sin came in, all this junk came in with it. So you're going to face it. So when, whenever you're surprised by trials, here's what we do. <coughs> and again... Remember, this isn't me talking. (laughs) Don't get mad at me. This is James. Whenever you are faced or you're surprised with many kinds of trials, he says this, consider it. Now, study that out. Consider it It is to reframe or rethink your perspective. Change your perspective. Adjust your thinking. Consider this. James says, whenever you're surprised, whenever you're faced with trials, because they're going to come. Hey, hey, think about this. Consider this. Consider your trial as pure joy, my brothers and sisters. That's, see, I don't really like that. I, and that, that's the verse I just I've got to be honest with you. You're telling me that this junk is going to come. It's going to happen. I'm going to have to face a lot of stuff, and I'm going to be surprised by things that are, that are hurting me, that are messing me, and you're telling me to rethink for a second and consider it pure joy. That's tough. That's tough. This isn't, this isn't me talking. This is James. I didn't say that. My verse would have sounded really different than this. If I, would, if I, was, write, if I was writing Jared 1-2, it would have sounded a little bit different than that. <laughs> I mean, I would have started off with Jared, servant of God, and, you know, Jesus and all that. But I would have said something like, when you, whenever you face trials of many kind, I'm sorry for you. You just got to pray. You got to find somebody to build you up. I don't know, run, hide. Uh, it's just terrible. But he, he goes on and he says, listen, and, and our frustration is how can he say that without knowing our circumstances? Some of you have been through some stuff, right? You've been through some serious, serious moments. And then James comes along and he says, hey, 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 listen, when you're surprised by bad news, when bad news hits you, I want you to rethink. I want you to reframe this. I want you to get a new perspective and consider pure joy, pure joy, what you're going through. How can he say that if he's not heard my story? How can he say that? What he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, whenever you're going through it, you're going to go through it. Whenever you're going through it, I need you to step back. Take a breath, change your perspective, and I need you to find the joy in this, okay? Whatever your circumstances is, I need you to find the joy in the midst of your trial. Listen, whenever you're going through it, I need you to change your perspective, rethink, change, reframe it, and find the joy in the trial. He goes on, he says, there's something that you know that you've lost. Because he says now, he says this, because you know, consider it pure joy, okay? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, because now you know. There's something that you know that you have lost sight of because in the midst of this trial, you stop thinking correctly. You stop looking at things the right way. There's something that you know, but you have lost sight of. And so he goes on, and, and, and of course, to our defense, we say, oh, well, of course we've lost sight of it. 
Do you know what I'm going through? I mean, do you understand the circumstances surrounding my, my life? Do you know what I'm going through? And he says, listen, because you know that when you stop and think about it, if you pause long enough, if you'll catch your breath, you'll be able to see beyond the immediate circumstances. And he says, here's what you're going to remember. Here's what you're going to discover. Because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, so what, what is a test? Testing means that I'm going to do something to ensure that whatever it is that I'm testing is authentic and real. Testing is the process used to determine the authenticity of something. And he says this, the trials that you're facing, the trials that I'm facing, the trials that we are facing are testing the authenticity of our faith. Isn't that incredible? When you, when you reframe it, when you think about it, he says they're testing the authenticity of our faith. Listen, that, that's his point. The trials, his point is this. The trials expose the authenticity of our faith. Now, the term faith in this particular context is actually referring to this. Our confidence in God. So, let me restate that, that I just said. Trials expose the authenticity of our confidence in God. I'm going to let that marinate, so just think about it. Trials. Whenever, whenever you face them, because you're going to face them, Whenever you do, you just need to remember something that you already know. You already know this. You need to reframe it, step back and consider it pure joy. You need to find the joy in it. And the reason you have to do that is because you you need to understand that, that these trials are actually testing the authenticity of your confidence in God. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? Or to use James's terminology, immediately you discover something about your faith. You discover in that moment what you believe, what you really, really believe. What you were t- pretending to believe or what you were taught as a child to believe, but you never really embraced as an adult. In that moment, without doing anything, your faith, the authenticity of your faith is being challenged. And that's when you discover what your confidence in God is really about. It's being challenged. To put it another way, he says, basically says this. When circumstances begin to deteriorate, okay? When circumstances deteriorate, artificial, counterfeit, what's in it for me, faith, deteriorates right along with it. Okay? When life gets tough. When you face the trials, and and James tells us you're going to face them. When you face the trials and and things begin to deteriorate around you, all the artificial, the fake, the counterfeit, the what's in it for me faith, that's going to be gone. Okay? The authenticity of your faith is going to be determined. The, the, The real way that you view your confidence in God is going to be exposed in these moments. 
You've seen this happen to people. Some of you, maybe that's your story. And James is telling us, listen, whether you like it or not, you know, some of you don't like this. And I know some of you would like to avoid this. But whether you like it or not, I'm telling you that there is a joy to be discovered in the midst of your trial. There's a joy to be discovered in the midst of what you're going through. And listen, if you're like me and you're probably like James, I wouldn't sign up for it. I didn't volunteer for this. I didn't choose this. It just kind of chose me, you know. But there's a joy in discovering this about yourself. There's a joy in discovering the faith that you have in God when you go through something. There's a joy in discovering the faith that your, your spouse has in God when they go through so there's a, a joy in discovering your kids things about your kids your children your friends and family when you go through things when you go through the trials when you're in the midst of the trials and we're, we're, when we're confronted with the authenticity of or the lack of authenticity of our faith in Jesus and James says believe it or not there's joy when you make that discovery Okay, and then and this perspective of faith stands in stark contrast to some of the silly things that are taught a lot of times by people who do what I do. Preachers, you know, sometimes we kind of mess it up. We we don't say the things that, that James necessarily intended for us to say some of the silly perspectives on faith, speci specifically faith. That's so important. Let me let me kind of debunk some of the statements of faith one right here faith is not how you get God to do stuff see I've preached this and I've kind of grown up always kind of throwing this out there that it's faith and faith makes God do things that God doesn't really want to do but our faith makes him do those things that that's not right Right? That's not what our faith is. Our faith is not a superpower. Okay? We're not equipped with this superpower called faith, and we just throw out this faith. If that was the case, then a lot of you would have a lot more answered prayers. Okay? If faith was a way for us to get God to do things that God doesn't want to do, listen, I've had a lot of faith at times, and, and there's a lot more prayers that God should have answered that he didn't answer, which tells me that my faith is actually not a superpower. So faith is simply this. It's confidence that God already did something. Faith is not trying to get God to do something. It's faith that he already did something. He already did it. He already paid a price. He already gave his life. He died for our sins. And then he did what he said he was going to do. He rose from the third day. Then he sent us a comforter. Then he gave us all this power. Then he gave us access to him every single day, anytime we want, 24-7, 365. We have access to the Father. He already did something. That's what faith is. Faith is simply confidence that God is who God revealed himself to be in the New Testament. Faith is confidence that God is going to do everything that God promised that he was going to do. Faith ultimately is this. It is your response to God. So think about that. It's, it's not a way to leverage God, to get God to do something that ultimately God doesn't want to do. It's not the way faith works. And and. Unfortunately, and I'm sure I've played a part into this, 
unfortunately, pastors, we stand up here and we kind of manipulate that, that, that the reason we're not getting answered prayers is our faith. We don't have the faith. And so if you had more faith, that's our superpower, and God would actually listen. But since he's not listening, it's because there's a lot. I remember preaching messages to my youth groups. It breaks my heart now thinking about it. But I preached messages to my youth groups, and I said that. The reason that God's not answering your prayers is you just don't have enough faith. And that's not true. I believed it, though. I believed it. I believed that it was my faith. It was my faith. And that's, that's not the way faith works. Faith is believing and being confident that he already did. He already did what he said he was going to do. Anyway, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. So here's what he says. Here's what James says. Whenever, not if ever, whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider or rethink, reframe, change your perspective. Consider it pure joy. Listen, look beyond the circumstances and find the joy in the trial, brothers and sisters, because, and here's why, and James is saying, you know this, you already know this, you've just forgotten, and so I'm going to remind you, because you know that the testing of your faith, it does two things. One, it demonstrates something, and two, it produces something. It demonstrates whether or not your faith is genuine. It demonstrates whether or not your faith is authentic, whether your faith is real. And then it also produces something. And here's what it produces. He says, over the time, trials that you're facing, they will produce perseverance. Trials produces perseverance. And perseverance, you know what that is. It's the ability to hold up. It's the ability to hold up under pressure and under stress. And in other words, he says that the trials, even though we didn't sign up for them, trials makes our faith stronger. And trials makes our faith stronger because trials automatically exercise our faith. Trials automatically exercise our faith muscle. Did you know you have a faith muscle? You have a faith muscle, and you have to work out that faith, mu- faith muscle just like some of you have to work out your regular muscles. I just work out my table muscle. That's the, it's the, only, muscle I work, that's the only muscle I work out anymore. But in my mind, I do have a big desire to work out the rest of my muscles. It's just the impl- implementation part of that. But anyway, that's another message for another day. But he says, here's some good news. It's not an exercise that you choose, but it's an exercise that chooses you, okay? See, you don't decide when you're going to exercise this faith muscle. (laughs) These trials, these exercises, they choose you. They choose you. I don't choose them. They choose you. It chooses us. And James says the most interesting thing. He says, listen, when these faith exercises chooses you, don't leave the gym early. That's not exactly the way he says it, but it's, that's basically what he means because he says this. Listen, allow or let perseverance finish its work, okay? Don't get out of gym too early. Don't stop early. In other words, don't bail out in the middle of the process. 
You can't stop in the middle of the process. And this is a really, really big, uncomfortable idea, right? I'm going to try to explain it to you a little bit. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, look at what God is doing right now through this trial. And whatever it is that God is doing right now in the middle of this trial, God is in the middle of what he's doing in your life. So whatever is going on, whatever this trial is going on in your life, God is right in the middle of that in your life. And you don't want to shortchange what God is doing in your life. You don't want to shortchange the process or miss out on something that God is doing in your life. Or to say it another way, the, the thing that we want removed, think about this, the thing that you want removed is the thing that God has chosen to use in your life that's building your faith, that's stirring your faith. The thing that you're trying to pray away or you're trying to faith away or you're trying to obey away in your life, which is completely understandable, and you should. You should pray these things. And, and there are times that God is going to take those things. But the things that we're just expecting to disappear are the things that God has chosen to use while in the situation. So the thing is that until God chooses to remove it, we need to let God use it. So let me say it a different way. The tension in our lives is at the epicenter of God's activity in our lives. Man, that should give you so much comfort, so much peace, that the tension, and man, I can think of a lot of things that I've gone through this year. I can think of a lot of, the tension, the, the mess that I'm in, God is at the epicenter of that. The epicenter of that, and I can prove it. What are you praying about right now? Exactly, right? I just proved it. The trial, this difficult season that you're going through, the thing that you wish you could change, the thing that now has your undivided attention, whether it's lost jobs, lost wages, lost business opportunities, whether it's a divorce, loss in your family, whatever it is that has your undivided attention right now, listen, that's probably the thing that you've been praying about when you pray, if you pray. Okay? It has your undivided attention. And so, uh, in fact, perhaps if you haven't prayed in a long time and suddenly you find yourself praying, why? Because trials do that. You know, trials exercise our faith. So when you find yourself praying because you're going through something, that's kind of the point. Anyway, um, it, you, you find that God is at the epicenter of what's happening in your life. And that's why our trials inform our prayer. So James says, look at it this way. Don't shortchange the process, okay? Don't bail out. Don't leave the gym early. Stay in there. Finish the process. Don't quit the process. Don't stop believing. I should have had you hear the track. Don't stop believing. <laughs> Y'all were with me. Y'all were with me. Y'all knew I was going to break out on something. Stop it. Y'all got to let me finish this. <laughs> but he continues and he says this. Let perseverance finish its work. Don't leave the gym early. Stay in there. So that, here's the why. Here's the why you stay in the gym. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So he's using this little play on words here, and he's saying, listen, let perseverance complete its work so that you will be complete. 
Okay? Let perseverance, let, let the process play out <coughs> so that all of a sudden you will have grown-up faith. Have you ever wished to have grown-up faith? The faith of a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, you just wish one day you could have that grown-up faith? James is saying, I can tell you how you get it. You stay in the gym, okay? Sit in those trials, and when you're in those trials, you find the joy in the trial, and you just let it work out because God's right in the center of that with you. <laughs> and while that's working out, that's your faith working out. And, man, that testing, it, what it's going to do is it's going to make you mature and complete, and you will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. You will see God's faithfulness. So ask God, God, use this until you choose to remove this. Now, James knows that this is challenging for us. And he knows that for many of us, especially in his original audience, trying to imagine how something good could come out of something so bad. Uh, and some of you probably, as I'm, I'm talking about this, you, you can even put yourself in a situation that is just awful and terrible. And you're trying to think about while I'm talking, how in the world do I, I find the good in something that's so bad, it's so unimaginable. And James says, listen, I understand that too. I get it. I get it. If you can't see the value of the fact, if you, if you can't say, hey, man, I've, I, I really believe that I've discovered something about myself. I've found the joy in the midst of my situation. I found this. Uh, but I just can't, I just can't, I just can't get through it. I just can't imagine at the end of this finding the good in my situation. I can't imagine really appreciating this bad situation. James says, listen, I get it. So here's what I want you to do. If any of you lacks wisdom, specifically this, study this out. If any of you lacks the perspective that you need to see the situation the way that God sees the situation. If any of you lacks perspective to see that God is doing something in you, not just in you, but God is doing something through you, he says this, and here's what I want you to do. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who does what? He gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. See, we think that faith is the answer. Faith is our superpower that makes God do something. No, but I'm telling you something that God did promise he would do. He says, if you lack wisdom, and we think, man, how do you, how do you, how do you see wisdom? Let me tell you something. It's that mature faith, that grandma, grandpa, mom, dad kind of faith that you wish that you had. It's being in the trials and being able to find the joy and being able to walk through that and understand that the trials are exercising and they're building and they're motivating and they're stirring up your faith. He says, listen, if you're having a hard time seeing that, ask for wisdom because God's going to help give you a new perspective so that you can see the trial the way that he sees the trial, so that you can see your husband or your wife the way that he sees your husband, so that you can see your kids, and your, so that you can see your job the way that he sees your job. If you're having a hard time seeing the things that you need to see, then you need to ask for wisdom, and God's going to help change your perspective so that you can see and James says, this is a promise. If you ask for it, it will be given to you. 
He doesn't find fault in it. It's yours. If you want it, if you need a new perspective, he said, it is yours. Now, here's the problem. When I'm going through a tough time, I don't always want wisdom. I want relief. Right? (laughs) When you're going through a tough time, you don't want wisdom, you want relief. But James says, listen, I understand that. But if you want God to use what you're going through, and you're having a hard time seeing that there's anything good that can come from it, James is saying, just lean in and ask God for wisdom. The wisdom that you're asking God for is what's going to help you see the good that's going to come up from this. So James is saying, I don't expect all of you all of a sudden to just go home and consider it pure joy when you're going through stuff. Because not everybody's there. And if you're, if you're not there, that's okay, James says. Ask. Ask for wisdom. And God's going to show you a perspective. And when you look at that situation you're going through, you're going to go, wow. God, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop. And this is a prayer that God will always answer. God, give me eyes to see the way you see. Give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see my friends and my family the way that you see them. Give me eyes to see my situation the way you see it. Give me wisdom to see as you see. And you know this. We've talked about this before. But oftentimes when we have the ability to see as God sees, we're more inclined to do as God says. Right? When we begin to see things the way God sees things, we begin to kind of stick to his plan and do what God says to do. So let me put it all back together for you here. Put it all back together, and I'm going to tell you a story about a family member of mine. But James says this. He says, consider it pure joy. Okay? Think about it. Reframe it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you are surprised or you face trials, because it's going to happen of many kinds, because you know this, you may have forgotten while you're in the middle of the mess, but you know this. He's talking to you. This morning, okay? He's talking to you this morning and me this morning. He said, you know this, that the testing of your faith, the proving of your faith, the the authenticity of your confidence in God, it produces perseverance. And let perseverance, come on, don't get out of the gym too early. Let it run its course. Let perseverance finish its work so that you can have big boy and big girl grown-up faith. You can be mature, not lacking in anything. But if for some reason you get to the point or you are at the point where you're in the midst of a trial and you just can't find the joy, you just can't see why God is using this and you're so frustrated and you just want out and you want out and you want out and you want out, James has no problem. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God and he will change your perspective to see what you're going through the way he sees it. He didn't choose it for you. You didn't choose it, but God will use it if you'll let him, who gives it generously to all without finding fault, 
and it will be given to you. Isn't that a powerful verse? I don't always like it because I don't like to think that trials are just going to keep coming my way. If I could avoid it, I would avoid that. But I can't avoid it, and so since I can't avoid it, I really need to adhere to this verse, this passage, because James is on to something. James is teaching something. So have you ever met anybody like that, that kind of faith, that kind of faith that they just respond, and they have this faith that is just unwavering and so strong and they're so committed and no matter what they're going through their confidence in God is just extraordinary I've met lots of people through the years like that and I've got to tell you this and I think you would probably agree that the most inspiring hope-giving people that I've ever met are the people who've gone through some junk right the the most inspired I am most inspired by people whose faith is tested and it endures. I'm more, I'm more inspired by people who get a no from God when they're praying for an answer and they get a no or they just get a no answer, but yet their faith never wavers. I'm more inspired by those people than I am by the people who never get a no. You know, the people who seem to live a wrinkle-free life, nothing's ever happened to them, they've never been through anything, and they just have this faith in God. I'm like, of course you have faith in God. You haven't had to go through anything right? It's the people who've gone through some stuff that inspire me. We're more inspired by people who get a no, but yet they remain faithful. Now, many of you, you've heard me tell these stories before, but uh, growing up, uh, I come from a big family on my dad's side of the family. There's tons and tons of cousins. Uh, My dad has, there's seven kids on my dad's side, uh, my dad's brothers and sisters. And most of those kids had a boatload of kids. And so there's a lot of kids. And I'm the oldest of all the grandkids on, well, on both sides. But um, growing up, uh, my family, most of my cousins lived up in Amarillo or away from me. But one of my aunts and uncles lived in the same town we lived in for a lot, a good part of my life. And uh, so she, my aunt, was more like my mom and uh, more like a mom to me. My cousins, they were more like brothers and sisters than they were cousins. Uh, I had my cousin Brandon and Nikki and Josh and Ashley at the time when we were growing up. And uh, I had a cousin. Her name was Nikki, Nicole Vinson, and she was born. She, she and my daughter, Peyton, share a birthday. Uh, Peyton was born on March the 19th, and Nikki was born on March 19th. Nikki was born in 1981, so she's about four years younger than I am. And these are some pictures of Nikki up here as I tell the story. And Nikki was just fun. She was bubbly. She was funny. She was a smart aleck, so she fit right in with the family. Because uh, this, this family is a family of smart aleck. So if you're not a smart aleck, you don't really fit in. And she was great at that. She was just the life. She was the life of everything. And... Um, when she was 14, about 14 years old, somewhere right in there, she was diagnosed with leukemia. And it was the most awful fight you can ever even imagine. Um, I, remember, I remember good days, and I remember bad days. In fact, that's a picture. She's, she has leukemia there, and that picture's actually in the hospital, and she's wearing a wig. Um, she struggled to even keep her eyes open. Uh, we, we took some prom pictures in there, and 
That's a prom picture I took uh, of her. We hid the IVs behind the plants. Um, and this was, this was towards the end of her life. She was 14 when she was diagnosed, and she struggled with cancer, battled cancer. We had great days and bad days. She went into remission, and, and when she would go into remission, I thought for sure, for sure, for sure she was going to live. It, she was going to live forever. And then I remember the summer, uh, her, when she was 16, um, that summer around 4th of July, we were in Chico, Texas, and we were going out on the lake with my cousins, and we got a phone call that she had come out of remission. And it was, the cancer was so aggressive, so nasty, so ugly. Um, when she came out of remission this time, it was, it was the beginning of the end. And we watched her just go through hell. She suffered so bad. Um, and by that October, November, uh, she passed away. And it was just a fight. It was awful. But the thing about Nikki is she loved God so much. She was so in love with Jesus. Everybody knew that. All the doctors at the hospital, all the nurses at the hospital uh, knew she, she loved Jesus. In fact, the town that she lived in, they, they donated money and they built a Nikki Vincent Memorial Youth Center in her name, in her memory, to reach young people because she had such a, a ray of light uh, because of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And she was so awesome with her faith and her faith was so big. But to be honest with you, Nikki's not the hero in this story, and that's not why I'm telling you the story. Nikki, and I, and I don't mean this to, to sound harsh or whatever, but Nikki kind of had the easy part of the job. You know, she got diagnosed with leukemia. She suffered. She went through hell. It was tough. It was miserable. But in two years, she graduated. She, she won she lost the battle here on earth with cancer, but ultimately she won. And, and to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And she gained her reward. And as she went and she's with Jesus, and it's just great and it's awesome. But the hero that I want to talk about in this story are the ones that had to pick up the pieces when it was over. Because I've shared Nikki's story a lot of times. And I, I loved Nikki, and I was so close to her and her. Her older brother is one year younger than me, Brandon, and, and then she has two little knucklehead uh, brother and sisters, Josh and Ashley, and I loved her, but the hero in this story was my aunt and uncle, my aunt Belinda. She was the rock star. She's, she's like a second mom to me, but once I had kids, I started trying to imagine what that must have been like, because I was there, I watched it, but I watched it as a, you know, I was, when, when Nikki passed away, I was a young youth pastor, I was like 19 years old, uh, 20 years old, I think, and I just turned 20, I was a young youth pastor, man, I had all the, I was, I was ready to storm hell with a water pistol, I just had all the faith in the world, and I knew, I mean, I would tell people, she's going to be healed, I guarantee it, and when she would go into remission, I was like, I told you, I knew it, my faith, I expected my faith, my superhero power of faith, I had the faith, she was going to be healed, I expected God to do something, whether he wanted it or not, because of my faith, and then when God didn't heal her, 
when, when God gave us a no, that was tough. And then as I become a parent, I look back at my aunt and uncle, and especially my aunt, and I go, how did she survive? How did she survive that? How did she survive saying goodbye and watching a 16-year-old suffer like that? I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. I watched Belinda and Joe at the hospital all the time, all the time. I watched them just love and love and love and love and love and give and give and give. In fact, when Nikki passed away, they just wanted to give and love kids and children. And so they they became foster parents. And I should have asked Belinda this when I was talking to her this week, but they have had Tons of foster kids come in and out of their home. In fact, they've, they've adopted since uh, after their four kids, they adopted and took on um, several more that are my cousins. And, and in fact, most a lot of their foster kids, I, we, we, they are cousins. We call them our cousins. They come to our family reunions and, and all that. And, and they come in all shapes and sizes and colors. And, and, but the faith. The faith, the pain of watching your child suffer and then having to pick up the pieces. I can't imagine anything more difficult in my life. Now that I have kids, I really can't imagine anything more difficult in my life. But let me, let me tell you something. When you see that kind of faith, you remember it. When you see that kind of faith, it marks your life. And, and I, I've not probably told Belinda and Joe this enough, but that kind of faith shook me to the core. It has always marked my life. That kind of real faith, when you get a no, but you stay in it. And I'm not saying that they didn't have bad days. I'm not saying that there weren't days that they questioned God. I'm saying that right now, as of right now, still to this day, they are loving, loving, loving Jesus like no other. They're, they're not mad at God. They're not angry with God. And, 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 and something happened. And that kind of faith, it'll change the world. What Belinda's faith didn't do is Belinda's faith did not reverse the consequences of a life in a fallen world. See, remember last week we talked about there are consequences. There are things that we still deal with. You know, when sin came in, it opened the door. And there's pain and suffering and disease and leukemia. It all came in the door, and death came in the door right along with sin. That's the result of a fallen world, and we live in those consequences. But those consequences don't define us. But unfortunately, Belinda's faith also, it didn't reverse those consequences. Belinda had a lot of faith. I had a lot of faith. My faith didn't reverse those consequences. We prayed. We prayed for a miracle. We believed in miracles. You should still pray for a miracle. And there are going to be a lot of times, a lot of times, that God's going to respond to that. And God is going to answer prayer. This isn't a message about God not answering prayer, because God will answer a lot of prayers. This is a message about those times when you get a no. How do you respond? What do you do when it just is what it is? Faith is not a superpower. Faith is not how we get God to do something that God doesn't want to do. Faith is a response 
to the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. Belinda and Joe's faith actually produced perseverance and courage in the midst of a fallen world. My friends, the reason I'm telling you this story is because it produced perseverance and faith in me. It's easy to forget about people who get a yes from God and then they just go on about their way. They're forgettable. But it's the ones, the people who get a no from God, whose faith is rock solid, that actually change our lives and they change the world. That was James's goal to his first century audience, and that was his goal for you and for me in this message and the scriptures that I, I gave to you this morning. Listen, James is saying, whatever you go through, you need to have an unwavering faith. An exercised faith. Listen, God will use this until God chooses to remove this. The bottom, this the kind of bottom line right here is that God is going to use whatever has not been removed in your life. Are you okay with that? Because I am. Knowing that whatever in your life, think about this. Whatever in your life you see as a problem, an obstacle, or difficulty, If God hasn't removed it, God wants to use it. So are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Listen, you need to be reminded of your faithfulness. Use this. Use this so that I understand my confidence in you is real. And if you need it, you ask for wisdom. Now here's how James finishes this section of his letter. Here's what he writes. He says this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. That's my aunt and uncle, Belinda and Joe. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Maybe that's you. Maybe, Hopefully that's me. The ones who don't always obey it away or pray it away or faith it away. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, having discovered that your faith is real and that your faith is authentic, listen to what he promises. To that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Wow. So the point of the story is this. God values and God uses persevering faith. God invites you and invites me to step into this realm And begin to see the trials as not just trials, as not just obstacles, you know. And and stop saying the whole, well, when it rains, it pours. It's just my luck. It's just what I go through. No, step back. Reframe it. Gain a new perspective and find the joy in it. This is so powerful. James invites us to lean in and allow God to purify and strengthen our faith in the midst of of what we would never choose for ourselves, But now here's the thing. These current events that we're all experiencing that have been impacting all of us differently, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the rioting, the political nightmare that's, that's kind of just plaguing the world right now and plaguing America, They've impacted us all differently. But they present us all with the same opportunity. 
they present us with the opportunity to allow perseverance to finish its work so that we may have grown up faith, so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. When that, with that in mind, I want to invite you to try this with me for maybe a week. And, and if you adopt it, take it on. But I, I want you to incorporate this into your prayer. And if maybe you've never really been a prayer, you know, you don't pray much at all. Uh, and this is a good start. Maybe you've wanted to pray, but you just don't know what to say or where to, where to go. This is a good start. Or, or maybe you pray. This is just an add-on. So let's practice this every day. Let's practice this every day um, and, and see what changes. But I'm going to ask you to start praying this. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. See, what if that became our prayer every day? God, I'm not, I'm not even mad at you, what I'm going through, because I found the joy in it. <laughs> and the joy is knowing that my faith is real because it's been tested. And in that testing, in that trying time, it has been authenticated as genuine. My faith and my confidence in God, it is real. And there's joy, James says, when you find that out. In the meantime, God, use it. Use this trial until you choose to remove it. So one more time, I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to close out. Consider, rethink, change your perspective. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face, because you're going to face them, trials of many kinds, because you already know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. And as it's producing perseverance, hang on to that. Don't leave too early. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But listen, I understand for some of you it's hard to get there. And James goes on, he says, so if any of you lack wisdom, if you need perspective to see it the way God sees it, just ask God for wisdom. And, and here's what happens. God will give generously to anyone without finding fault. It'll be given to you. All you got to do is ask. See, isn't that a great promise? That we're going to go through stuff. You know, I get asked all the time to share my opinion um, with the evil. You know, I get told that a lot everything that's going on in the world. And this is this is basically my answer right here. This is what I believe. Is James promised us we were going to go through it. He didn't say if, he said when. We're all going to go through it. But you know what? In the middle of everything that's going on in this world right now, I can say this confidently as your pastor standing up here this morning with the pandemic. And let me tell you something. I've got businesses that are suffering badly badly and we have we've just questioned 
everything. We have cried out and begged for help and haven't gotten it and and our paperwork's lost and it's coming and it's not coming and, and it has been a nightmare. Through the the whole coronavirus and through the the election and through the rioting and the Black Lives Matter and the Blue Lives Matter and the All Lives Matter, nobody's lives matter until these lives matter and, and all that stuff. I haven't laughed at it. I haven't mocked it. I haven't made light of it. It's real. And it's real trials. But in it, I found joy that my relationship with God and my faith with God is authentic and that it is strong and that with that kind of authentic faith and confidence in God, I can move mountains. (laughs) And my stock and my hope is not in this world. It's in Him. And He's made promises to me that He's going to see me through no matter what. And I hold fast to that. But on the bad days that I have, and I do have them, I ask for wisdom to see whatever it is I'm not seeing. Because I don't always see it. Amen. Will you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, I pray right now, Jesus, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the way you see. Lord, that we would respond the way you respond. God, in, in chaos and in fear and in, in trials and in temptations. God, and just like my aunt and my uncle, Belinda and Joe. God, who probably should have received some, some earthly reward or something because of their rock, solid faith in you. Most marriages don't even make it through situations like that. Families don't make it through situations like that. But somewhere, somehow, they were able to see the joy in the pain. And the joy in the pain was the fact that Nikki was a light. She was a light to this world. God, that's the faith that I want. That's the hope that I want. And that's the perspective that I want. So, God, help me change my perspective to see things the way you see them, God. And to trust you, to trust you that that whatever is going on in my life, that you are the epicenter of it. That you are the center of all the tension and the turmoil that is going on in my life. You're at the center of it, God. And until, until you choose to remove it, God, I just pray you use it. You use me to be a light, to be an example. Father, I pray blessings right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.